After a firefight, they killed Hi, welcome to Forecast Roundtable. This is Matthew Beers. I'm here with Derek Basakio. Uh, we're going to be discussing the recent problems with this ceasefire in Syria. Uh, my first question for you, Derek, is uh, the United States and Russia recently sought to put in place a ceasefire for the conflict in Syria. Uh, what was the ceasefire about and what happened? Well, uh, it, the whole ceasefire, the whole plan of it was to you know, put in place not a countrywide ceasefire, but a ceasefire in particular areas where the uh, opposition, um, where opposition groups are. These are the opposition groups that are willing to negotiate, right. um, that have been fighting the government of Bashar al-Assad. Um, the problem was with it, it also was looking to delineate territory between these groups and al-Qaeda groups. Right. And so essentially the idea was that the United States and Russia over time would uh, jointly target these al-Qaeda groups right. while leaving apart the um, opposition groups. Now, for anybody that you know looks at a map of Syria, it's completely convoluted where these groups are. Many of them, right. you know, they're they're they themselves are not Al Qaeda groups, but they'll have fought alongside Al Qaeda on the battlefield, or they'll share the same military objectives. Right. So it's really a tough task to you know delineate where their territory is, especially because many of them see, especially the local local uh, Al Qaeda affiliate, many of them see them as an ally. They don't see them as an enemy and they don't really get why there's this right. huge focus by Russia and the United States to want to target Al Qaeda. They just right. see it as Russia and the United States are uh, yeah, trying to undermine their revolution. Right. And so th there's a lot of players there. It's very easy to confuse these different players and it's very easy to purposefully confuse these players right yeah yeah and that's something that you see a lot for example anytime russia or syria anytime that they are carrying out airstrikes against opposition territory they invariably will refer to it as striking terrorists uh, for a while when russia began their uh, military in intervention now right. it's a year to date that they started carrying out airstrikes for a while they only referred to every target as isis everything they bombed was isis right uh, over time it started to become apparent that that wasn't the case actually fairly quickly right. that became apparent and so then they started referring to all of them as Nusra, Nusra being the Al-Qaeda branch that's course, in Syria right, that right. recently renamed itself, but yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, so over time they've, you know, they've added that, but it's generally speaking, they'll refer to them as terrorists, they'll refer to them as insurgents. Right. And it's, it can be tough to tell if that's actually who they're targeting or, you know, if they're targeting uh, the moderate opposition or if they're targeting, uh, you know, civilians as a right. lot of activists will allege. And then you have the, the Kurds in the picture and you have Turkey. Right. And that's, and that's a whole other dynamic. Right. And that's and that's part and parcel of why this why the ceasefire is so difficult to do, because there's right. all kinds of different power plays and all kinds of different schemes that are going on here. Right. And so when you try to get these, especially when you try to get a sweeping, you know, agreement for the country, it can right. get really difficult. I mean, just just doing something like that in Aleppo province itself right. would be a bear, let alone you know, trying to do that for the entire country. There's too many stakeholders. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you nailed it right on the head. There's too many stakeholders and too many stakeholders with kind of contradicting goals right. and contradicting viewpoints of where they're at in the conflict. Right. You know, from the, from the external viewpoint, kind of the idea is we need to keep this, you know, resolve this conflict, we need to, you know, lessen the impact on civilians and try to, st you know, stem the flow of refugees. But from, you know, the internal perspective, they're still viewing it very much as, you know, a struggle against the other side that, 
you know, that nobody on the outside seems to be understanding. Right. And they don't exactly have the same incentives to, you know, to stop fighting each other. No, it's, it's funny that, that the United States, and, and I'm sure Russia too, I mean, they don't want to see these people in conflict and getting killed and their infrastructure being destroyed. Um, you know, in Iran and, and Turkey, I, I'm sure they, they all in their own rights send out this propaganda that says, you know what, we want to, we want to see a peaceful Syria. We want to see a peaceful region. Um, but is it the fact that they're intervening, that, that all these countries are intervening, actually causing more trouble than if they just left them alone? That's well, that's tough to say. I mean, from pretty much from right, you know, the beginning, it was never purely just a Syrian revolution right. against President uh, Assad. It's been almost from the beginning. It's been Assad has been backed by uh, Russia indirectly and then later directly. And then Iran has been a heavy backer of uh, Assad's forces as well. So on the other side. Separate. Right. Yeah. Right. And then on the other side. You've had uh, Turkey and the Gulf in particular have been very uh, staunch backers right. of the opposition, and the United States has been as well. And and that's been pretty much right from the start. I mean, even right. in, you know, o- over the summer of 2011, you already had a number of world powers that were already calling for, for Assad's ouster right. and that were already looking to delegitimize him. Right. And so already they were getting involved. And by that point, you know, already Iran was looking at it and they were seeing, you know, kind of the way that, you know, uh, things have been going in the region this is right. at the you know point that a lot of protests were happening around the area they saw what that meant for them they saw what that meant for their ally right. in damascus and so they started intervening right away as well okay um and and where it is right now um what's the outlook like for the uh, conflict from from here on out it's a mess so right. <laughs> the idea what the ceasefire what they were hoping to get out of it kind of the ultimate goal from it was I think to kind of build confidence measures be- okay. between the outside brokers, but also enough between the, you know, the inside, you know, in the internal, the warring parties, you right. know, obviously the opposition and Assad are never going to trust each other, right. but enough where they're willing to sit down at a table and to the point where they see sitting down at a table is right. actually, you know, beneficial. Now that this is the second ceasefire that's been attempted throughout this year. There was another right. one earlier in the year. That one similarly fell apart. Right. And so the thing is, what what it's kind of you know shed a lot more doubt on is just the political process as right. it is, because no actor, especially no actor inside Syria, sees anything to gain from going to the table. Assad right. realizes that going to the table probably means that he's going to get a lot of pressure on him to step down either now or to make a commitment to do so later. The opposition, on the other hand, doesn't think that anybody shares their goals in getting rid of right. Assad. And so there's a lot of mistrust between them. And even the you know external powers are getting very frustrated as well. The United right. States uh, Secretary of State John Kerry recently said that uh, the United States is considering cutting off its uh, you know dialogue with Russia. That would be the right. political dialogue there. You know, the militaries are still going to interact to avoid, you know, collisions in of airspace course. or anything right. like that. But at least the political dialogue. Uh, Secretary of State Kerry was saying that they were, you know, considering that as an option. And then on the other side, Russia's foreign minister uh, hinted today that there were additional possibilities for the situation in Aleppo. And you can read that as the situation in Syria generally. Right. And, and you know, and he's saying that and as as he's saying that Russia's returning a lot of military aircraft to its air, air base in Lazakia. You know, they never left entirely, but they withdrew a lot of assets in March. And many of those are coming back, right. which just gives you kind of the sense that this is going to escalate further unless right. one side you know can give and part of the problem is 
the United States doesn't have a whole lot of sway over the opposition, and Russia doesn't seem to have a whole lot of sway over Assad. Right. Despite you know both being fairly integral backers, right. it seems that if the you know two sides on the ground want to fight, they're going to fight. Doesn't matter what the right. external parties are saying. Of course, um, you know it seems to me if people keep keep losing, they're they're losing lives, they're losing infrastructure. Um, it, it can't go on forever, but the reason that's going on, somebody is gaining from this. Who is, is anybody gaining from this? Is it helping anybody to continue the conflict? Um, as far well, we'll look at inside the country as far as who, who right. gains from inside the country. I mean, the not to say that they want the conflict to continue, but the Kurds definitely have made use of it. The right. you know the the YPG itself has kind of taken on the mantle of the you know the protector of the Syrian Kurds, right. and they've been able to essentially establish themselves as like a one party rule, even though right. they're not you know not all Kurds in the country support them, but because right. of their you know the the ways that they've been able to expand in the conflict, you know they've definitely consolidated their rule. They've put themselves closer to you know, establishing a federal project for, you know, a Syrian Kurdistan. I mean, that's what it seems like. Yeah, clo- yeah closer yeah. to that than, you know, than ever before. Yeah, I mean, you and think, you look at the rest of Syria, and then you look at, at the, the Kurdish-controlled region, and, and it just seems like there's nothing going on there. Like, they're keeping control of that area. Right, yeah. The moment they've, you know, once they've taken ground from the Islamic State, they've generally been able to hold it. Right. Uh, you know, with little variations here and there. But for the most part, I mean, especially, uh, you know, the offensive they launched last summer uh, that connected uh, two of their you know provinces and right. then what they've been doing uh, this uh, past summer with crossing the Euphrates and all that most of the ground they're taking they're holding right. um, as far as other actors inside Syria that benefit I mean Islamic State does because it's not getting focused on as much right. if you know if there's a lot less uh, you know fighting going on between the Syrian army and between you know the opposition groups right. then the one person who's not included in the ceasefire the one group that's not included in the ceasefire is the Islamic state like right and now so, i mean they're they're concentrating on um on Aleppo right um the Syrian government's concentrating on yes, Aleppo yes. so yeah yeah not, yeah yeah exactly yeah. The, the Syrian Syrian army and you know they've you know mentioned that the, you know they want to ta- retake the whole country and all that but that's not going to be you know, they're not going to be going after the Islamic State while they're right. still fighting, you know, the Syrian opposition, especially because Aleppo is the main prize of the war. Right. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the war if one side or the other took complete control of the city. But if, the, you know, the opposition were to take it, it would make uh, it would make Assad look like he's pretty much on the out, even though he still controls a lot of major population centers. Right. It would be a serious blow to his legitimacy to right. lose that city, given how big it is. Yeah. And on the other on the other side, on the Syrian opposition, if they lose it, then they're essentially relegated to being more like a rural insurgency. They still would own right. Idlib. They'd still own you know a lot of territory in the south and various pockets, but they would look more like just a rural insurgency. Right. As opposed to a you know a legitimate alternative to Assad, right? And so, but so what the issue is is with them, you know, continuing to fight. That means there's little pressure on Islamic State tor- territories, particularly right. uh, particularly in Raqqa, uh, which is their you know what they consider their administrative capital. Um, and it also means that as the United States is gearing up over in Iraq to uh, you know support the Iraqi army right. and associated forces in their push on Mosul. Um, 
with the less pressure that Islamic State has in Syria, that means the more assets they can focus on defending Mosul and the you know territory outside of Mosul, and it'll make that fight that much harder. Right. You saw a lot of news uh, a few weeks ago about how much progress was being made against Islamic State and how much territory they're losing. In the past couple weeks, you hear nothing. Right. Yeah. And that's been something that the Islamic State has made, you know, a point of exploiting, you know, throughout its its resurgence, you know, beginning mostly uh, 2013, 2014, you know, as they really started to reappear on the battlefield, what they've been able to do in Iraq and Syria in particular is take advantage of all these different power schemes going on and all these right. different conflicts between various actors. Right. They've been able to maneuver themselves so that they can carve out a lot of territory, a lot of power raise a lot of money right. and you know and do so in a way that the various actors that they're against you know all of them don't like islamic state syrian army doesn't like them right. the opposition doesn't like them over in iraq you know the government doesn't like them right. you know all the different um, militia groups don't like them the kurds don't like them but the problem is those groups all have their own uh, you know interconnected dislike for each other so it's right. it's a very it's a very confusing situation right. and they take advantage of it very well so so the chaos is is benefiting people this, this is benefiting people so for certain people certain groups it's definitely worth right the continuation right. of the conflict yeah there is yeah and that's not to say like for example like the syrian kurds for example that's not to say that they would want to see a continuation of the war i don't right. think that's you know i don't think that's the case i think what they want to see out of any you know, ceasefire into political solution. They just want to seat at the table because right. uh, in a lot of cases they've been denied that or, you know, they've seen, especially the opposition, the Syrian opposition has been very adamant against Syrian Kurds who they see as, you know, doing their own state building project. Right. And Turkey has said there's, there's a line with the Euphrates. Yes. Yeah. Do with the Euphrates, the Euphrates river. So yep. they're done. <laughs> they can't yeah. go any further. Right. Right. And the thing is they have gone past the Euphrates river, right. the YPG have, and yeah, and so that's a in large part what prompted the uh, Turkish military to start getting directly involved right. in the Syrian conflict, actually sending troops and, and armor across and tanks, the border, yeah. yeah, which they did uh, starting in late August. Right. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, this is a very chaotic situation. It's, it's almost just getting worse. Um, uh, the continuation of the conflict, uh, what effect is this going to have on the Middle East region more broadly? More broadly? Well, I mean, definitely you're going to have a, you know, a pit of chaos and essentially the heart of the Middle East right. with Syria. You still have obviously plenty of a lot of turmoil in Iraq, but especially in Syria. And that's for the immediate neighbors. All of right. them have to worry about the flow of refugees about right. the flow of, of fighters amongst those or elsewhere and of the flow of weapons. You know, right. all of these are very destabilizing. Right. Um, you know, Lebanon's coping with you know, millions of refugees. Right. Uh, Jordan's coping with hundreds of thousands, if not a million refugees. Right. Turkey's uh, housed a lot of refugees as well over, you know, I think over 1 million or 2 million. Right. And so the problem that they have is, you know, continued turmoil for that. It's going to stretch their, you know, their budgets further. Uh, the, in the broader Middle East, I mean, number one, it doesn't remove, you know, the continuation of the Syrian conflict doesn't remove a major sore point between the Gulf and Iran. Right. And, you know, they're always going to be rivals for the foreseeable future. Right. Uh, but the problem is what we've seen is just, a, you know, an escalation in right. their different proxy warfares. If you want to look at Syria as just a Gulf-Iran yeah. proxy warfare that's obviously not an accurate way to put it but if you want to look at it through that lens that's escalated yemen's escalated right. 
and particularly with Iran receiving the S-300 and and talking about, you know, maybe trying to deploy that in a way that it oversees the Persian Gulf, you know, that's going to be very threatening to a lot of the Gulf monarchies there, particularly Saudi Arabia. And so the fact that they can't, you, you know, that there isn't a political settlement in Syria I think is just, you know, kind of exacerbating that rivalry a little bit more. I mean, right. it's not like solving that would suddenly solve the tensions between Iran and the Gulf, but right. it would it would do a lot towards, you know, alleviating, you know, a lot of the tension. Right. Um, and I figure, I mean, right now, at least, you have all these, these fighters from these separate countries, you know, they're, they're going into Syria. So maybe some of the people that might be causing problems are, are no longer in those countries. Um, one of the things I did hear, though, um, I, I read in an article, uh, was that the ISIS recruiters are no longer saying, come down to Syria. They're saying, stay in your country, because they're, they're so afraid their territory is going to be taken away. They're saying, stay in Europe, stay in North America, stay in Australia, stay wherever you are, and do what you have to do there. Don't come here. Right, right. And that's actually a very real concern. So a lot of, you know, especially over the past two years or so, there's been a real emphasis by governments all over the world to crack down on the flow of foreign fighters, you know, getting into Syria, getting into Iraq in particular. And what's happened is, you know, especially as the Islamic State has started losing ground in Syria and Iraq, they've, you know, increasingly put out calls to, you know, their followers, their supporters all over the world and they've done it yeah exactly as you're saying they're you know they're they're saying don't you know don't come to syria take up whatever you can find you know take up a gun take up a knife drive a car right. and they'll say go after you know these people Which is uh, in yeah in their people own countries and, yeah and th- and they're seeing you know these you know a rash of you know islamic state inspired or in some cases al qaeda inspired uh, attacks in various countries of the world right up until it happens and then it's not an Islamic State attack. It's just a random, right, a random terrorist right. and attack. That's, right, and that's the thing. You look at, especially when they claim most of, if not all, of these attacks, right. uh, especially the ones in the West, what will happen is there'll be an attack. The, you know, the attacker, the media will start figuring out more, you know, about the guy. They'll figure right. out what he's posted on social media, what he's written down, you know, right. if he's got, uh, you know, all kinds of things, you know, that it indicates uh, you know, support for the Islamic State, and then the right. Islamic State will come out with a statement and be like, "He's a soldier of the Islamic State," right. and the the only information they release is things that's already been publicly, you know, available. So it's not right. that they're necessarily uh, directing these attacks from right. abroad, but they're influencing they're them. they're definitely influencing, yeah. they're definitely inspiring them, and and that's a real problem for you know, for governments to handle. Obviously, right. if you wipe out you know Islamic State in Syria and Iraq, that removes you know, that kind of vocal instigator for these right. type of uh, attacks elsewhere, but that doesn't remove the, uh, you know, the angst or the anger that right. these people that, you know, go out and say, you know, carry out a shooting, you right. know, that, you know, that, that yeah. they're feeling, it doesn't yeah. remove that anger. Right. Uh, well, Derek, um, it's, it's definitely a, a very chaotic situation. It's uh, having effects, not just in the region, but in the entire world. Um, I'm sure we're going to come back to this topic uh, very soon in the future. I don't think it's going away anywhere. No, it's not, and it's yeah. ever changing. And <laughs> next, right. who knows what next week will bring, or exactly. you know, or the following. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for uh, doing this again, and uh, for everybody out there, we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us at Forecast Roundtable. For more information on international aerospace and defense markets. 
visit www.forecastinternational.com.